church. We got a lively crowd today. This is awesome. I'm super excited to be here with you all. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeremy Vorce, the youth pastor here at Groton Bible Chapel. Uh, and today on this third week of Advent, we'll be talking about the joy of Advent. If you've been here with us, uh, the first week of Advent, our associate pastor, Zach Stevens, talked to us about the hope of Advent. Last week, one of our elders, Brandon Barnes, spoke to us about the peace of Advent. And I really want to say, if you haven't gotten a chance to hear those messages, go online and go watch them because they did an amazing job with those messages. And so today we're talking about the joy of Advent. And I want to give a quick little disclaimer to you all. Today it's going to get personal. So before we get much further into today's message, let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you so much. Lord, I thank you so much for the people here. And Lord, I'm not just talking about the people physically represented in this room, but I'm talking about the people also joining us online. I'm talking about the people that will be watching this later on in the week or in weeks to come. That you would let these be so much more than words today. But for some of us, a reminder of why we celebrate Advent. Lord, that for some of us, this would truly reveal who you are in your heart for us. Lord, that this is so much more than a holiday. It's so much more than a season. But as we're going to talk about later today, this is the time that we remember one of the greatest moments in history. So Lord, be with us. Help us draw closer to you and give you all the praise and glory for it. I pray this in your name. Amen. So when I think of this word joy, I wanted to give a practical example for you all of a moment of joy in my life. And as I was thinking through what I could talk about, I realized I've been very blessed in my life. There are many moments that I could choose from that are joy-filled moments. That I could get really sappy and I could talk about like my wedding day or the birth of my sons and holding them for the first time. But instead, I wanted to get personal with you. And I wanted to talk about something that truly is near and dear to my heart. And that's the New England Patriots. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay if you hate the Patriots. You just have not learned the truth yet. It's okay. We're praying for you. But there have been so many moments of joy in my life with this football team. And I, I do want to give a disclaimer first that I grew up with, like, the 90s Patriots. They weren't that good of a team with Bledsoe on the team and everything like that. They did make a Super Bowl once, but they got destroyed by Brett Favre. But there have also been many moments of great joy that the Patriots have brought my life. And as I was thinking through moments of joy in, in kind of... Uh, result of the New England Patriots, one of the first thoughts came to my mind was Super Bowl 49 against the Seahawks. And I was thinking about that game and the joy that it brought me, and I was like, you know what, I could really run with this as my example. It would be a great example, I could really run with it. But ultimately, I decided to pass. And so instead, <laughs> I want to talk about the Patriots and the Falcons. See, they went back to the Super Bowl two years later and played the Falcons. And, and in that game, I remember it so vividly. My wife and I were living over just on the other side of the parking lot, the 108 house. We had several friends over for the game. We were super excited that day. The chance at our fifth Super Bowl championship. 
that Sunday, I brought one of my jerseys into my office, and I was so, so excited. But see, we have a few members of our staff that are not Patriot fans. One of the biggest is Gary Campbell. He's a Giants fan. You know, we're praying hard for him. And he could not stand the chance of the Patriots winning yet another Super Bowl. So that also got me really excited for this game. And so as we're getting ready for the game, I'm at my house and I'm sitting on our chair and I'm, I'm just jazzed. My friends and I are talking, we're eating yummy food and we're so excited for the game to happen. Kickoff happens and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, this is not a good game. They start losing. The Falcons score the first touchdown. And then Brady throws an interception, which leads to another touchdown. And by halftime, I'm like, this isn't good. They're not going to win this game. And in my head, I had to start not just rationalize the fact that the Patriots were going to lose the Super Bowl, but equally, I was coming to grips with the fact that Gary Campbell is going to be a Falcons fan for the next several months to rub it in my face. And as I'm sitting there through the third quarter, I'm just deflated, and I just can't. I'm like, oh, I can't, but then something happened. If you remember that game, two minutes, 12 seconds left in the third quarter. The score is 28 to three, and the Patriots score a touchdown. They started a comeback. And throughout the fourth quarter, they start scoring more and more. And they're getting onside kicks. And they're making a close game that finally gets to three minutes left in the fourth quarter. Three minutes left in the game. They're down by eight points. And they're at their own nine-yard line. And Brady starts marching them down the field. At this moment, I'm not deflated anymore. I'm not leaning back in my chair. I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm jumping up and down. I'm getting psyched for the fact that the Patriots could possibly do this. And then a moment happened that I'll truly never forget. They're around midfield. Brady goes back to pass. He looks over the middle of the field. He sees Julian Edelman. He throws him a pass, but it gets tipped by one of the defensive players. And as Julian Edelman's running this way, he plants his foot, and he dives forward. As he dives forward, three other defenders are coming on top of him, and he grabs the ball. And as he's moving towards the ground with ball in hand, he hits the ground, and his hands release for just a moment, and the ball flutters there in the air. And at the last second, he grabs it again and makes the catch. Thank you, thank you. During this moment, I'm not sitting back in my chair and I'm like, he caught the ball. First down. Go Pats. Church family. I was, oh, he caught it. He caught it. Did you see it? He was running this way. And then he leaned forward and he caught the ball. He caught the ball. And luckily my friends were there too because they were just as crazy as I was at the time. And they're screaming also and we're high-fiving, we're cheering. We were so excited over a dumb catch that wasn't even a touchdown. They still had to score. They still had to get a two-point conversion. They still had to go into overtime to score again. But in that moment, I was just so overwhelmed with joy that he caught the ball. Meanwhile, my wife is standing in the background, and she's like, you guys are ridiculous. I don't know what's going on, but something big just happened, and I can't handle this. See, we talk about joy a lot. We've experienced it many times in our life. But I want to talk about what, what actually is joy. What is joy? So I looked it up online. 
That's what I always do. I look it up online. It's a noun. It's an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. A source or cause of keen pleasure and delight. That's what we're talking about today. Joy. But why do we talk about it during Christmas? There's something about Christmas that it, it just brings this word up so much. And it's not just in church we talk about joy. Throughout secular society, we talk about joy during this season. And one of the easiest ways that we see this is through media. But when we think about joy in media, especially in movies, it's really easy to think of characters that don't have joy. That media loves to portray the, these fictitious characters that are just rid of joy. Maybe you're an older person and you're more of like a bah humbug type. But we have these images of what it looks like not to have joy. But as easy as it is to think about people that don't have joy, when we think of the characters that have too much joy, it's just kind of annoying that it's just a little too over the top, and, and we can't handle it. We're like, calm down, okay? But it's not just in movies that we talk about joy. When we think of Christmas and joy, one of the first things that comes to my head is songs. We sing a lot of songs that have this word joy in it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. See, I'm not going to sing it for you because that's not going to be a joy-filled moment for any of us. In fact, some of you may leave during that time and that will not bring me much joy at all. But we can all think of many songs. And so I was curious, how many songs actually are there that deal with joy? So again, look it up online. It turns out there's 42,749 copyrighted songs that talk about joy. That's a lot. So why do we talk about joy? Why do we talk about joy, especially in this season? The reason is we live in a dark and joyous world. It's not hard for us to think of the bad things that happen in and around us. No, I'm talking about like the really bad things that happen. <laughs> See, we joke and we kid because the reality is we live in a dark and joyless world. Give you a few numbers. 28 million people suffer from a mental illness called depression. This is diagnosed cases. 28 million people. One of the best definitions that someone gave me of depression is it's like someone carrying an extremely heavy weight that they can never release. That they feel like they're walking through world in a dark cloud that they just can never see through. 20, or 280 million. 800,000 people are involved in sex trafficking every year. 800,000 individuals are degraded to what sexual pleasure they can give to other individuals. 
Nine million people die every single year due to hunger and hunger-related illnesses. Nine million people. Church, we could go on and on for hours of truly how dark our world is. We could talk about substance abuse. We could talk about racial injustice. We could talk about COVID. We could talk about the tornadoes that just came through. We could talk about all these things and how truly dark and joyless our world is. But then something changed. The writer of Isaiah writes it in Isaiah 9 too. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Well, what was that great light? See, 2,000 years ago, in a cave, a little baby was born that changed everything. Last week, Brandon Barnes, one of our elders, spoke to us mostly on the Luke 2 account of Jesus' birth. And in it, he talked about how the angels appeared to a group of shepherds. And today I want to take just one verse in that account and really dissect it a little bit. So we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And this is the angels talking to those shepherds, and they say, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is a very simple statement that many of us have heard multiple times in our life. But I want us to unpack it quite a bit more. So the first word I want to talk about is what is the good news? They said we proclaim good news. What is this good news that they're referring to? And I, I want to give a little bit of a confession to you all. I'm not that smart. I know some of you may look at me and you're like, that guy's intelligent. I know it. I have you all fooled. I never studied Greek I don't even try to study Hebrew. I'm barely able to speak English well. For those that are English, notice how I said well, not good. Uh, so I'm getting, I'm getting better at it. But I do have a great tool called the internet that I can say Luke 2, verse 10, Greek to English. And I have friends that have studied this. So I can see what actual words are used. And so literally, this is what I typed in Google earlier. I went to Zach Stevens and I said, how do I pronounce this kind of word? Because that looks kind of crazy to me. First service, I even had to pull out my phone to look at, all right, what did he say was the actual pronunciation? And so some of you are going to be like, you totally butchered that word. I know Greek and that's not what you just said. Uh, so my best interpretation of it is euangelion. Okay, uh, And that's the word that is used here for good news that the angels are proclaiming. This word is also used 76 other times in the New Testament. 76 other times this good news word is used because this word also refers to the gospel. The good news that they are proclaiming that Christmas morning is the gospel. Some of you may know the gospel as the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk about the birth, ministry, death, and resurrection of this man named Jesus. And that's the good news that they were proclaiming. 
But why is it good news? What about it makes it good news? And the difference between us and God is for all of us, our start ended at our conception. When we were born, that is the beginning of us. But that was not true for Jesus. Jesus didn't start 2,000 years ago when he was born. But he has always been. We see this really spelt out in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And that word, Word, is capitalized, meaning that it's not just talking about a, a vocal word, but it's talking about Jesus himself, that he was with God in the beginning. We see this also in Genesis, where it's the creation narrative, and God says, let us create man in our image. Pluralistic words, meaning that it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there in the beginning. So what was Jesus doing before he was born? He was sitting on his throne in heaven. He was being worshipped among heavenly creatures, being glorified on most high. But his plan was to come down to this earth. Because he saw that we lived in a dark and joyless world. He saw that left to our own devices, we weren't just not going to be able to bridge the gap between us and him, but in fact, we fell further away from him. That we kept making selfish choices, we kept choosing our way over his way, we kept trying to glorify ourselves other than glorifying him. And it got to the point that God said, I can't let them do this any longer. I'm going to leave my seat and come down for them. This was such great news that the angels could not contain themselves. They were freaking out so much more than me freaking out over Julian Edelman catching a dumb football. They were so excited for this moment that they could not stay in the spiritual realm. They had to burst forth into the physical. They grabbed a group of guys and they were like, stop what you're doing. You don't understand. The greatest moment of history just happened right over there. Stop what you're doing and go check it out. Because God came down for you. But that's not all they said. For they did not just say, I proclaim to you the good news. They said, we proclaim good news of great joy. So what is this great joy? How do you take something from good news to great joy? Well, again, I was like, all right, let's, Let's look up some more Greek words. I'm going to butcher these two. It's okay. First one is magnolin, which is great, which isn't just how we would use the word great, like some of you uh, maybe later are like, oh, today's a great day. No, that's not really the word that this is referring to. This is referring to massive. This is referring to a, a huge thing going on. Most of the time, it's talking about a structure or a noise. And then joy, karan, is used several other times in the Bible. One of them is in Matthew 2, 
verses 10 and 11, where the Magi come face to face with God for the first time. And it says, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child and with Mary, his mother, and they fell to their knees and worshipped him. They were so overwhelmed that all they could do is fall on their face and give glory to him. See, what takes something from good news to great joy is it got personal. It got personal. See, when God, Jesus was sitting on his throne and he looked down at all of humanity and the darkness that we lived in, he didn't just see the world, he saw you. He said, Sarah, I can't let you do this any longer. He said, Luke, I can't let you live this kind of life anymore. Jared, I can't let you keep walking in the dark. So I'm going to leave my seat in heaven. I'm going to come down and be like you to ultimately die for you. Pay a price that you could never pay. And then I'm going to come back for you so that I can be in a relationship with you. It's not just good news. It's great joy for all people. Next, I'm going to talk to two very specific groups of people in this room. And give you a bit of a challenge today. The first, there may be some of you sitting here joining us online that you don't know Christ yet. You don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you were driving by earlier today and you just saw a parking lot full of cars and you said, I wonder what's going on there. Maybe you were scrolling through Facebook and you were like, hey, this guy looks kind of funny. Let me watch him for a little bit. Maybe someone sent you a link this week, and they said, I want you to watch this. Or maybe you've been in church for a while. You've heard about the good news, but you haven't quite made it a great joy. This Christmas, this Advent season, I want to invite you and challenge you, make it personal. If you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, I invite you, make it personal. And there's nothing mystical or magical. You don't have to say the right phrase or anything like that. I invite you, if that's you, come find me afterwards. Find one of our elders. Find one of our pastoral staff. Even just turn to someone next to you in this room and just say the words, I want to make it personal. If you're viewing online and that's you, just write in the comments, I want to make it personal. If someone sent you this link, text them back saying, I want to make it personal. I want to learn more about this great joy that you're referring to. And let it change your life. The second group of people I want to talk to are those that you would say, I do know Christ. I've been walking with Christ. I have a good relationship with Christ. I want to give you a challenge also. I want to challenge you. Live with great joy. Make it evident in your life that you have a relationship. That you have made it personal. 
that it's no longer just good news, but it's great joy. Some of you may be looking at me and you're like, Jeremy, that sounds great and all. I, I admit that's something we're, we're supposed to do, and I, I get what you're saying about this, but you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know how dark my life has been, the things that I have had to carry, the weight that's been on my shoulders, especially in this last 21 months. How hard it's been. You're 100% right. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've had to go through. What I do know is what he's done for you. And if nothing else, that is cause for great joy. Again, some of you may be looking at me and you're like, again, Jeremy, I, I'm, I'm not refuting that. But it's hard. It's hard to live with that kind of great joy. This last semester, our high school group did a study through the book of Philippians. That we went through all four chapters of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And in it, we taglined it, a journey for joy. Because throughout Paul's letter, he's encouraging the church of Philippi to live with this kind of great joy. And one of the big conclusions that we found is that joy is recognition plus contentment. To have joy, you have to realize who God is and what he has done for you and then be at peace with what he has done for you and what he has given you. If you want joy, it takes recognition and contentment in your life. At the end of Paul's letter, he goes through, how, what does this actually look like? So we're going to read in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, and God will... Uh, of peace, will, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me give you guys the Jeremy Vorse translation of this. Find your joy in God. If you miss it, let me say it one more time. Find your joy in God. Let it be reflected to everyone around you. Not just the people that it's easy to be a Christian around. Not just the people that it's nice to be nice to. I'm saying let it be known to everyone. For God is near. Don't over-concern yourself with things that are out of your control. The older I get, the more I see that I have very little control of a lot of things. But instead, go to the one who has full control of everything and pray. And pray more. And pray more. And pray more. And pray more. And petition that prayer to God, but with thanksgiving. And the God of peace that just doesn't make sense 
the God of peace that our brains just can't comprehend will not only guard your heart, but your mind in Christ Jesus. That's how we have joy. And if that's not enough for you, in verse eight, it's what we read earlier today. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Church, imagine if we live just the day of our life with this as our filter. If not only what we allowed ourselves to think about, but what we allowed ourselves to be received as went through that filter. During this series, in one of the small groups, one of our younger male students was sitting across the table from me, and he looks me square in the eye, and in all honesty, he says, do our parents know about this verse? Because I can tell you now, my parents don't do that. If you're confused why it's so hard to live with that kind of great joy, think about what you're letting in what you're letting yourself dwell on. The other thing I want to challenge you on today, if you claim that you have a relationship with Christ, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. That's, that's what just the given of walking with Christ should look like. For those of you that know Christ, I want to challenge you, make it personal for someone else. Take this Advent season and make it personal for someone else. Next week, our lead pastor, Gary Campbell, is going to be speaking to us on the love of Advent. Of how much God loved us. I invite you to invite people next Sunday. But also here at GBC, we have three Christmas Eve services. 2.30, 4 o'clock, and 6. In the back, we have cards that look just like this that we've invited you to hand out. But I'm not even just asking you to hand them out because that's not personal. I want you to personally invite people to church this Advent season. So what does that look like, Jeremy? Maybe it's going up to a neighbor. Hey, Bob. Uh, we've been neighbors for a long time. You may know our, our family attends church over in Groton, Groton Bible Chapel. And uh, this year we're going to the 2.30 service for Christmas Eve. And our family would love to have your family join us for Christmas Eve. If you want, we can save you a bunch of seats so we can sit next to each other for that service. But we would really love to see you at that service. Maybe it's going up to a coworker. Hey, hey, Susan, uh, I, I know you and I have talked very openly about stuff like politics and religion, and I know 
you really don't know where you stand with God yet. But I would really love to invite you to church this Christmas Eve. Our church is having a service at 6 o'clock. And, uh, in fact, I, I would love to come pick you up for church so we can drive together and we can sit together and, and you can hear really why I celebrate Christmas. Maybe it's messaging Uncle Don. Uncle Don, I know you and I haven't seen eye to eye lately on a lot of things. And I know you and Aunt Sally are, are still staying home because you're concerned about stuff. But our church is having several Christmas Eve services. And, and I would love to send you a link so you can join us online and really hear about the love God has for you. Make it personal this Advent season. Again, if you don't know Christ yet, take today, make it personal. If you do know Christ, live with that great joy and make it personal for others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you so much that you loved me too much to let me wander around in the dark any longer. You loved the people here too much to let us be left to our own devices. You, you loved the people online too much to let us just keep wandering through life. Lord, that your plan was to come down to this earth. That the creator would be part of his creation. To ultimately die the death that we deserved. And you rose again so we can actually have a relationship with you that's not just for this earth, but for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that this Christmas we are reminded it's personal. I pray this in your name. Amen.